Shabbat Shalom, everyone. Good morning. Good morning. Page 491, chapter 26, verse 1. So we've entered into the latter part of, or the latter third of the book of Exodus, which will occupy itself almost completely with the story of the tabernacle and the building of the tabernacle in the desert. It'll be interrupted. It's a beautiful chiastic structure. The last two, I should say the last five parshiot, five readings, five weeks, are basically Mishkan, Mishkan, Golden Calf, Mishkan, Mishkan. We interrupt this Mishkan with a Golden Calf story. The Mishkan, as I discussed this morning in the open book, the tabernacle, there are at least three different ways to look at the purpose of the Mishkan. According to one dominant opinion within Chazal, you read the Torah chronologically, and at this moment after Sinai, the tabernacle comes, as Nachmanides says famously, to be, to be a kind of souvenir of Sinai. Essentially a reminder of what took place at Sinai. Um, moments of great epiphany require uh, tools and tactics in order to retrieve that memory. As we said last night in Heschel's beautiful phrasing, a loyalty to an event an event that happened to our people, and the Mishkan, the tabernacle, acts as a reminder, as a touchstone of that experience. The second frame that we discussed this morning, found in Chazal, found in the rabbinic tradition, some say that the Torah is actually not read chronologically. It is read, Ein Mugdam Um Uchar, and that this piece, chapter 25, and the remainder of the tabernacle story actually happens after the episode of the Golden Calf. There's actually strong... It's a strong reading if you look at the dates and various things that are often in the Torah. It actually makes the most sense, but it doesn't in terms of how do you read a story out of order. It's kind of a funny episode. And in that reading, the tabernacle comes as an antidote to idolatry. There are sanctioned forms of idolatry, as it were. In other words, the golden calf is not kosher, but the tabernacle is. And we understand the need to reify objects, to make abstractions concrete. And instead of Right, instead of the golden calf, we give you the tabernacle. One could easily argue that that's a, a frame for all of religious form. Right? All religious form is a kind of, to be very crude, I won't be crude, never mind. Um, it's kind of the, re- the remnant of a meal, as it were, that one once had. And that the forms come as a way, they don't really nourish you, but they remind you of that taste and, and remembering that. Those forms come to remind you of an experience that you once had, and as such, it has function in that way. It serves that way. Okay, that's the second frame. The third frame is to see the tabernacle in the Abarbanel, the Spanish exegetes, thinking that the tabernacle comes, make for me a sanctuary that I may dwell within you, is a way of saying, a kind of in maybe Shaul's, is a plug for Shaul Magid's new book on incarnational Judaism, in that, right? Far from saying, oh, that sounds really Christian to say that God works through our bodies and through the earth. It's actually quite Jewish. In this reading of the tabernacle, the tabernacle is the desire to bring God as the Kabbalists and the Hasidim love to say that God should have an apartment here in this world, a dirah that God should live here in this world through us in the physical, in the way that we live, in the tangible, in the objects, in, in the stuff of the world. So in that context, in the third frame, everybody got that? Three frames? 
Each and every piece of the tabernacle then can be read as, as an invitation into what it means to live a godly life. Like every piece of it, the entire structure. From the outer curtains to the inner curtains to the, the different sections, the different holy places, the different objects, each one of them is pointing allegorically as a metaphor for something on the inside, yeah? For this wasn't the Hasidic turn to make all of Judaism psycho-spiritual begins in earnest actually looking at the Mishkan. Because the rabbis had no idea, right? What the, they weren't like looking forward to a mishkan. There wasn't like a mishkan anywhere for them to say, oh, I can't wait to have a tent where I can pray in. The whole thing for the rabbis was an allegory for the inner world, for the life of the spirit. So v'et mishkan on page 491. Tase Make for the tabernacle, make ten strips of cloth. Yiriot. These are the coverings for the Mishkan. Right? The, the, the Mishkan, this, this outdoor cathedral, has, right, it has the curtains around, and then it has coverings. It's not open air. How many layers of coverings? There are four layers of coverings. And they're made of all of these amazing things, that appeared miraculously in the desert. <laughs> Wonderful. What does it mean when the Torah says that there have to be coverings and that in the first verse that we'll read, the coverings themselves, according to the rabbinic tradition, had to have the kruvim. There are a lot of ways to read that, but let's just read it simply, that there were these cherubs that were woven in, embroidered into the curtains that covered the mishkan. Okay? So two little pieces. One is, for those of you who are in Mishkan Tabernacle 101, the tabernacle, according to the rabbis and according to literary scholars, the tabernacle's basic structure, literarily, is to remind us of the creation of the world. The tabernacle is a microcosm. So the tabernacle is a little miniature world. The language used in it is to create a world. That's one. Two, if that's the case, then the Yiriot are the Spheres or the, or, or the sky. The sky. Right? Notesh shamayim kariah. God hangs the heavens, the sky, like a curtain. We also, in this world, have a curtain above us. So the Mishkan has curtains made of actual material, which are an allegory or a metaphor for the sky. We have a sky above our heads in the Mishkan. We have a sky above our heads here. And into the sky is woven the images of these two cherubic figures, embroidered. Want to hear something really radical? According to one mystical tradition, the soda kruvim, the mystery of those cherubs that are interwoven into the sky is that they are making love. An image of two figures making love in the sky above your head when you entered into the holy sanctuary. Imagine that here, everybody. Imagine... <laughs> Imagine into this, I mean, we have every year at a certain time of the year, we have angels hanging down. The church puts angels hanging down. Imagine if they were in, like, in some kind of very erotic embrace. Now, that would get us some news, and so, um, certainly it would be a little bit of publicity. So, so walk with me into a kavanah, into an intention for the first aliyah that is connected to this. There's a custom here in, in the Roman community, if, you don't, if you've never been here before, we actually don't invite individuals up for the first and seventh aliyah, could invite anyone who feels called for the first aliyah. And the first aliyah is about having covers 
above your head. Whether that means shelter for you, whether that means safety and security, whether that means a reminder that as you imagine what heaven looks like, you're reminded of your own need for passion, your own need for union. Whether it's um, whether the cover of or the heavens that we reach for, right, are heavens that we reach for in intimacy or in relationship, if the cherubs, right, if that speaks to you this morning, if the yiriot, if the if the coverings over the mishkan, the coverings above, uh, are what you want to uh, connect with in the mishkan story, please come forward for any, all, or none of the things that were said earlier. You're invited up to the Torah for the first Aliyah.